Welcome to the Moser on Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by Jacket Media Co. And now, your host, Harry Moser. Good morning, everyone. Lou Weiss from Manufacturing Talk Radio and uh, our, our friend and associate, uh, Harry Moser. Uh, uh, we're co-hosting uh, our two shows, Moser on Manufacturing and Manufacturing Talk Radio. Good morning, Harry. Welcome <laughs> aboard. Uh, great, great, great to be here, Lou. It's all, always good to see your ha happy, smiling face. <laughs> Even on a Saturday morning, huh? <laughs> uh, sure, especially on a Saturday morning. <laughs> uh, Harry is the uh, originator, co-founder of uh, Reshoring Initiative, and he's been uh, playing the, the initiative game now for, what, 12 years? 12 Yes, yes. Okay, Harry, give uh, our audience a little bit of a background, how you got to do that and so on, and we'll get right into the hot topics. Hmm. We got to do it. I had been the president of Charmé, Agi Charmé, it's now GF Machining Solutions, and I, I retired in 2010, and so I got to do it because I didn't have a job, <laughs> and uh, I could have gotten. I had I had offers for other jobs, but but this was clearly more important. You know, I, I instead of going out and making more money and paying more taxes, I, I it was more important to do something good for the country that had been so good to to my family, my my father, grandfather, me. You know, we, we'd all benefited from this great country and. And, and somebody needed to, to, to bring, bring the strength back to U.S. manufacturing. So I said, well, I guess that's, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my career. And, uh, and it's worked. I've, been, I've been delighted with the results. Excellent. Excellent. The results are great. And uh, uh, you're well known throughout the country as the expert on this. So why don't we uh, get to uh, our, our first um, points that we wanted to discuss today. And that's uh, when you did start this uh, 12 years ago. Uh, I don't even know if the word reshoring existed. Uh, do, do you have credit for that name? Uh, no, not quite. The, uh, <laughs> at, at that, people were talking about onshoring, reshoring, repatriation was also a popular term. Right. Uh, right. And, and the, I, the only thing I, I can take absolute credit for was removing the hyphen from reshore. At that time, reshore always had a hyphen in it. And I said, <laughs> if it's gonna be serious, if it's gonna look like it's here to stay, it can't have a hyphen. Hyphen is a couple of make-believe kind of things, you know? So I pulled the hyphen out and, and, and within a year, nobody else was using a hyphen. And, and uh, so that, that's, that's what I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that Oxford Dictionary really sends you many accolades for that uh, <laughs> correction, <laughs> yeah. but but it was okay. it, it, it was it was difficult in the beginning when when uh, when I started off it was easy to get polite interest because everybody knew it was a good idea you know a good, good theory but a nice thing to have so to speak so we got good wishes polite interest but it was very hard to get belief and commitment very hard to get people to 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 to, to believe it would happen so so part. Of, I had a lot of discussions with no, noted, you know, what, competent economists and so on about whether we had a flow or a trickle or a drop kind of thing. And and, and part of the reason was there's we had two different perspectives. Uh, uh, they looked at it from an absolute perspective that the number of jobs at that time coming back per year 
were maybe equal to a tenth of 1% of total manufacturing employment. So it was tiny, okay? Yeah. Whereas I saw it relatively that every year or two, the number of jobs coming back in, in a year was doubling. <laughs> you know, so I, I saw this huge surge going on, but they saw that surge still only being tiny relative to the to the macro size of the economy. But the but the, the nice thing is that now that 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 absolute trend has gotten big enough so the they the, the naysayers are gone. I mean, it, almost all of them. There's still some people say it's it's not going to really come to much. But but most everybody now recognizes that it is that it is a, a significant impact on on the economy. Well, it doesn't come without problems, though. Uh, our our working force in the, in the United States is uh, diminishing. Uh, there are those who are still participating in the uh, Great Resignation. Uh, the supply chain issue. Uh, we have lots of jobs. We have lots of jobs, and we have uh, not as many people willing, capable, competent, and all of that stuff to take over these jobs. And now we've brought back 800,000 jobs to your credit mm -hmm. over the last 12 years. So we were at 3 million short in manufacturing. Now we're 4 million short. Well, now I'll correct that. We, we never were 3 million, let's say we had declined by 5 million or so, because right. of the because of the offshoring, so we've lost three, four, five million jobs to offshore, and right. and now and and at the at various times in the last ten years, Deloitte and the Manufacturing Institute would report that we're uh, the government would say that we're you know six hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand job openings in manufacturing, you know, and and Deloitte and Manufacturing Institute would project that in 10 years we're going to be two million short you know or, or, or some number like that huh which never never seems to quite happen uh, and so uh so w if we had not if, if the eight hundred thousand had not come back then instead of having eight hundred thousand job openings now in in principle we'd have zero job openings now okay and in right. some ways in some ways it's better to have some job openings because it makes it clear that manufacturing is a, is a good career and there's people out there wanting to hire you if you if you go into it so it's not it's not all bad i i also think that the that the the job openings count is overstated now and i, I, I surprised me yeah there, there's a severe problem with shortages no question but if say, say there's a machine say you you and another machine shop in town both make similar products and uh, both of you know that there's a job out there that if you had one more person, you could uh, take that job and make those products. So both of you will report that you, you that you have a shortage of one person because if you can find one person, you'd hire them. But there's only enough work out there for one, not for two. Okay, so I so I do think that there's a a modest uh, overstatement of of the job openings. Mm -hmm. uh... What got the reshoring trend going? You know, when it finally got past the the little steps 
How did you, <laughs> how did you get it? To, I mean, did, did you panic people that uh, we're not going to have enough work, enough jobs, enough product? Uh, we're paying uh, too much overseas and not enough here. Well, we our, our job was to document. We document, we promote, like we're doing today. We enable, and we advocate for a better, for a leveler playing field. But so, but in terms of documenting uh, the, uh, you know, we, we we saw the trend happening, and uh, from in the beginning, from say 2010 to 2019, the the, the driving force was corporations recognizing. I'll call them the routine costs and risks of offshoring. That, that even when things were running smoothly, when there wasn't all this disruption going on, there were still duty, freight, uh, let's say two month inventories to get things here, or two month deliveries to get things here from say China or India, travel costs, intellectual property risks. These things were, these, those things have been present forever. Companies ignored them in the beginning, and then they started to recognize them over some period of time. And and that what we call the total cost of ownership, all, all the all these routine sort of routine things. As an example of that, um, I've got a friend who's a professor at the Ohio State University, uh, Professor John Gray, and he's interested in reshoring. And he did a study maybe three or four years ago, and he found four companies that had offshored and then reshored. And he went and visited them, did a you know, academic study kind of thing. And he said, well, why did you offshore? Well, the wages, the costs were so much lower, we couldn't afford not to. So we, we offshored. And, and he said, well, then a year, couple of years later, why did you reshore? Because over that couple of years, we had so many problems of travel, of late deliveries, of too much inventory, not enough inventory, uh, intellectual property risk, misunderstandings, late night telephone calls that we said we weren't, we were not saving enough to make it worth all that hassle. Right? Not so, even to mention the quality of product. And, and the quality and the quality of product. And, and sometimes, I mean, like with an Apple iPhone, the quality of products darn good. So there's, there's variation, there's variation in quality. Some, some, some companies over there make a good product and some obviously, obviously do not. So the, uh, in addition to all that uh, going on over that 10 year period, uh, there was the uh, a trend in Chinese wages. So I, I'm trying to pull up a slide. Does that come up? Not yet. Not, yeah, so let's see. Here we go. There we How go. about that? Okay. So during uh, that. Yep, it's up. Okay. So during that time period, uh, Chinese wages rose an average of 10 to 15 percent per year starting with 2000 and going till 2020 so this chart shows unit labor costs so the the, the cost in us dollars to make a typical part and and so whatever that was for a range of company uh, countries you can see the countries listed up here whatever that was called for each one call it 100 and then each year going forward adjusted for the wage rate change in their local currency for the change in the currency relative to the dollar the exchange rate and for change in productivity in the country and you can see here's us stays flat uh, roughly two percent wage increases roughly you know one percent productivity so not not much change uh, the other countries bounce all around with currency here's china so the the, the labor cost for, for making a thing the labor content of of a manufactured product in China 
is now five times what it was uh, 20 years ago, and everybody else has stayed roughly constant. And so the uh, and, and and therefore where China you almost didn't bother to count the labor costs back when they were making 50 cents an hour. Now they're making seven dollars an hour, six seven dollars an hour, and going up. And so the uh, so ch even even before thing even before the trade war even before COVID, work was coming out of China because China was increasingly expensive, and the and, and but the work significantly went to Vietnam, Cambodia, places like that, and Mexico, maybe 15% to the US. But now with all the disruption and all the risks that have come on, companies are starting to say, well, you know, it looks like maybe we maybe we ought to bring more of it back here. So, so as we've had the disruptions like uh, COVID, Suez Canal, the Ukraine, and, and increasingly the risk of Chinese decoupling. So um, I'm being interviewed actually this afternoon for an article on China decoupling. It's going to be in Voice of America. And and there's an increasing perception that 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 either we will stop buying, the government will say stop buying things there, or more likely the Chinese will say, we're mad at you, we're not going to ship you anything, or there'll be a, a, a violence of some kind over Taiwan, and there'll be you know, blockades and nothing will be getting out of China, maybe nothing getting out of Asia and and nothing's going to be coming over. So so I, I had a company call me uh, two days ago and they said, Harry, I need help sourcing product here in the United States. Now, where are you getting it now? China. Now, why are you why are you thinking about bringing it back? Well, the uh, tariffs, the, the Trump 25 percent tariffs, this is that's our the disruption. And, and just a worry that something's going to go wrong with Taiwan and China, and, and we're not going to be able to get the product. And, and if we can't get the product, we, we've got to get it somewhere else. Let's start now. So I, I find increasingly that companies are um, looking for um, domestic solutions because of that, that risk of, uh, uh, the, and it's a long-term risk. It's not like it's going to go away in two months. It looks like China and the U.S. are going to be you know, significant adversaries for decades. Without a doubt. Do you feel that the uh, Trump tariff against uh, all these countries, which actually is a penalty to the Americans who buy overseas, do you feel as though that that had a major impact on the reshoring? I'd say it did not have an impact on the reshoring, a significant impact in the beginning, like whenever that was, two, three years ago. Yes. Uh, because companies didn't believe that it was going to last. Right. And and I believe the, uh, the, the, the Chinese supplier and their US customer absorbed most of the 25%. I, I've read a study from the Economic Policy Institute that said, that there was no perceptible increase in prices here in the US when the tariffs went into effect, that they all got somehow absorbed in, in you know, various people took a piece of it and, and, and nobody wanted to raise their prices because they didn't want to lose market share. So, so, uh, uh, so I, I think, and therefore, since, since they didn't raise their US prices, there, there wasn't as much incentive to switch over to, to made in US. But, but people can only absorb 25% for so long. Right. And so, and so I, I, now the combination of that 25% plus the COVID 
plus the risk of decoupling. It's it's you might say it's it's all it's all those pieces together that are break you know sort of breaking the camel's back so to speak. And and uh, so I I I I I believe that since we have it in effect, since it's part of our negotiating position relative to China, uh, that it would be a mistake to uh, relax it now. Uh, President Biden's thinking of doing that just to look like he's doing something to uh, get prices down, to ease inflation. But it, but it, I'd, I'd much rather have him uh, eliminate the gas tax because that has nothing to do with China. For example, has nothing much to do with reshoring. So uh, so I, I think he should keep the tariff. Now, in contrast, there are tariffs on steel and aluminum. Uh, I, I I can question because. In those cases, we tariff the steel, but we do not tariff the parts made out of steel that are shipped into the country. So we wind up with, say, Chinese companies, Chinese machine shops being able to buy steel for 30% less than you can, right. and that gives them a price advantage relative to you. So, so in, in the case of the steel tariffs, if we're going to have tariffs on steel, then we should also have tariffs on steel products, anything made out of steel, so as, so as not to put U.S. machine shops at a disadvantage relative to offshore competitors. I think uh, also the <clears throat> excuse me the uh, reshoring of uh, products and effectively penalizing American companies because American companies are the ones who have to pay the tax, not China. So uh, perhaps they could have done it a little bit differently by putting in imposing tariffs the other way. Uh, the point to that is uh, we, it, to something that you said a few moments ago, uh, no one likes paying it, but a lot of people don't know you're paying it because they don't understand the tariff methods. So that's number one. Number two, um, I, I believe that the uh, cost of goods uh, in respect to tariffs have participated in the uh, inflationary period that we're going through, partly. Um, and uh, not only that, obviously, the tariff on steel was to protect the U.S. steel industry, which now has built more steel companies within the last two, three years than they have in years. Uh, and at the same time, because of commodity prices of iron ore, nickel, uh, carbon steel, and so on, on a global basis, the steel, U.S. steel prices have gone up significantly. Uh, there was an issue about three months ago with regards to uh, the London Metal Exchange uh, took nickel off of the trading table uh, because the price went from uh, $20,000 a ton to $120,000 a ton in three months. Uh -huh. So they took it off because, you know, the speculators are out there, the gougers, the grifters, uh, they're all out there waiting for these types of opportunities. Well, I'm hoping that some of them bought at 120 and I, and I suspect it's fallen off somewhat since. Most yeah. commodities have come down. So I, I hope, I hope the, uh, the speculators got burned. <laughs> uh, some did, some did. Uh, by the way, Harry, uh, bring back the screen and then you, you can bring it back again when you have additional uh, slide discussion. Okay, I'll do that, sure. There we go. I like seeing the full size, uh, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
what aside from uh, the obvious impact of reshoring, what what issues exist that were a surprise to reshoring that impact uh, our economy? You got a couple of surprises in there. Things that are things impacts of reshoring or things that impacted reshoring. Yeah, the things that you didn't expect to have. Okay. Okay. So, well, one thing that relates to that is the is the current emphasis on the environment, for example. Right. And and so the uh, you know we we talk a lot. Everybody talks a lot now about ESG, environmental, social, and governance. That companies are supposed to. To be responsible, responsible citizens, and sustainable, and all that kind of business. And 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 it's and, and within that ESG, the environment portion is especially clear that that when companies um, bring work back to the U.S. when they manufacture here instead of making it there and importing it here, um, they uh, they make a significant impact on the environment. So, for example, we did a study of an aluminum die casting and found that. Uh, make, making it in China, shipping it here, compared to just making it here, you by doing it here, you reduce the uh, environmental load by 25 to 50 percent. So just a ma major impact. And yet, you, when these big companies are thinking about how to be environmentally friendly, they're talking about putting solar panels on the roof and doing all kind. Of, whereas the simplest thing they could do is is bring the work back to the U.S. and 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 that would help with the environment. It would help with jobs in the U.S. It would help with with reducing the budget deficit in the U.S. and make our military stronger. You know, so many good things that would happen that are in their interest. And so, part of our job is to is to get is to break into this ESG community and get them to ask companies not just how many solar panels did you put up, but the, where are you buying? Where are you having the product made? And where are you selling it? And if you're if you're doing them close to each other, like localization, you get, you get a plus. You get, you, whereas if you're making it somewhere and shipping it halfway around the world, and especially if you're making it in the places that have the dirty electricity like China, then you get a minus. And so we're, we're, that, that's our, our goal to get that done. The, uh, another question that's, that's motivating people these days is that they're, they're thinking about uh, uh, just-in-time inventory. You know, so, so uh, you know, how you, it used to be everybody wanted to get the inventory down to here, and now with the disruptions, the tendency is to come back up, have more inventory. And, and so we say that, that the answer is not to go back to big inventory, because the only reason you're thinking that you need to do that is because you have 5,000 mile supply chains that get, get disrupted all the time, whereas if you had 50 or 100 mile supply chains, then you can get away with a lot less inventory because if somebody needs something from you, Lou, and they call you and say, hey, Lou, I just need some of those parts a week from now or two weeks from now, you're going to get them to them, whereas if almost always, whereas if they call China and, and you've got some big heavy thing that has to come by ocean freight, they, well, I can get it out of the factory in two weeks, but it's going to take three months to get there. <laughs> so, so you got to keep a lot of it on the shelf. Right? So, so, so there, there's a, a lot, a lot that, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the trends like the environment, their social responsibility, 
you know, China, you know, fussing around, you know, the, the uh, fighting over there or, or risk of fighting, all these things are, are definitely strengthening the Rajoran trend. So here we are now and uh, 12 years later, 2022, um, I personally, for uh, my other company, All Metals and Forge Group, we're seeing a significant increase uh, uh, in, in our business. We've seen uh, uh, some record months. We've seen uh, uh, that things have actually gotten better than what it was prior to COVID, at least in our story. And I'm hearing other stories like that from uh, friendly competitors and vendors and so on. So is that what's happening here? Is what what's happening in 2022 and going forward? In, in terms of the economy, manufacturing in general, or specifically reshoring? Well, as it relates to both. Okay. So, so manufacturing That's a convoluted question, but <laughs> okay. So manufacturing is clearly very strong, has been very strong. You know the ism numbers consistently stay above 50 so it's it's a, it's a, it's a, been a very good time for manufacturing uh, shortages of uh, skilled workforce so i'm wearing i'm wearing my uh, manufacturing is cool t-shirt you know <laughs> to to to, 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 to you, still won't, you still won't send me one i have to pay for it huh well, yeah you have to report a case of reshoring to get one and I, right. I told you about that earlier so the uh it would look good under your yellow shirt though Yes, it was well, yellow jacket. It was like a Superman. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, uh, said so not not enough skilled workforce. Clearly, we need to get a lot more people being trained as toolmakers, welders, you know, forge forge operators, et cetera, et cetera. The uh, the the amount of reshoring has been very uh, pleasing. So if we if we look at the. Uh, Pulling that up again. You tell me when you can see it. We're on. Okay, and let me see if I can get that. So here, here's the trend in in uh, reshoring, which is the the blue line in FDI foreign direct investment. So think General Motors or think Toyota. So back in 2010, the sum of the two was about 6,000 jobs, and in 2021, about 260,000 jobs between the true ten trends with reshoring uh, for a while reshoring was less than foreign direct investment now it's twice as much because the companies are are deciding to that overseas actions are a little riskier than they looked before and it makes sense to to produce in their home country for their home country so it's happening here i'm sure it's happening in other countries around the world they're taking care of mama, so to speak. And, and uh, so to, to 2021 was, you can see clearly a, a record. Uh, so it was just a, just a great year. Uh, the, the cumulative of the jobs actually brought back, actually by the time they hired them, as best we can estimate, is about a million because we allow for a couple of years between the announcement and the actual, because some of these factories take two, three years to build. And so right. that that million jobs that have been, we believe, actually hired represent about 8% of total US manufacturing employment because US manufacturing is about 12 million. And so 8% of 12 million is about 1 million. So, so, so we believe that, that US manufacturing employment would be about 1 million less 
if this trend had not happened over the last 12 years. Okay. What, uh, as far as our, our listeners and customers are concerned, um, you know, they're all busy building things and making things and selling things and getting paid for them and so on. What is it that the, the Mr. Joe, who has a company, what should they be doing to help participate in the idea of reshoring? Yeah, uh, it depends on what they're, what you might say, what group they're in. If they're, uh, if they are uh, OEMs, so General Motors, people, a company that makes fans, someone who makes an end product that gets sold to, you know, to be used by somebody, then, then they should be talking to the people in their company and saying, what are we, what are we importing? And especially what are we importing from China? And what are we importing that if we couldn't get them, we couldn't easily, easily find a replacement. You know, so nuts and bolts, probably pretty easy to find a replacement. Standard nuts and bolts, pretty easy to find a replacement. But, but, but if it's a forged part, if it's a, a cast or a injection molded part, stamp part with heavy tooling, and if all of a sudden you can't get the product, say out of China, and, and you can't get the tooling out, how long is it gonna take you to make new tooling, find somebody to make it, and especially at a time when uh, 10,000 other companies in the US are getting nothing out of China and they're all looking for this, all, all calling Lou and saying, Lou, I need parts, get a parts for me. And, and, and this is, hey, it's too late. You should have called, you should have called uh, um, uh, six months ago when, <laughs> when, when Harry and I were discussing this on the show. <laughs> you know, it's funny, uh, you were mentioning the various uh, areas and sectors. Uh, there's one that, uh, uh, I wanted to bring up because uh, I, I think it's important, uh, particularly as it relates to other industries, and that is about 3D printing. 3D printing has really become uh, in its own just in a very short period of time. And uh, actually, I just recently read an article uh, about how does 3D printing going to affect the forging industry? And uh, 3D printers, they can make some pretty, pretty big parts. Matter of fact, I think it's in Amsterdam that they built a bridge that went across a stream, not a river, but a stream, small mm -hmm. bridge that was completely 3D printed. Mm -hmm. They had the bridge built in place within a month. It okay. got, washed, got washed away to a flood, a month later, the bridge was there, and it's going to be there for eons. So made, made out of metal, or made out made of, out of made out of metal, but all made out of metal, parts huh? three three no. D printed. So you probably had about four guys sitting around drinking beers making <laughs> these parts, and then somebody went and put them together. So uh, there are things in the future, even though this is in the present, things in the future that are going to impact uh, certain segments of the manufacturing world, either positively or negatively. But, you know, you can ask any blacksmith from 1890, did he ever think that he would be out of a job? They had nothing but horses. What are they going to do? Mm -hmm. And now we have cars that drive themselves, yep. and airplanes and trucks. Uh -huh. yeah. So 
uh, I've been amazed at how well 3D, 3 additive manufacturing, 3D printing has done. It's done amazingly well. It's, it's just boomed. And um, my only concern is that for, for most products, like I look around my office now, I look at chairs and tables and computer and monitor and a, a glass and you know pens and cell phone and i say how much of that could be made additive and, and the answer is almost nothing that, that almost none of it has the, the additive can give you e either the accuracy or the surface finish or the cost assuming you're going to make thousands of something as opposed to one, you know, or, or the complexity. So you take, you take my cell phone and there's so many, there, there's uh, integrated circuits and diodes that you're not going to make those on additive, not, not today, maybe a thousand, hundred years from now. So, so, so I, I think I, I'm amazed how well it's done, but, but it's not going to, uh, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm just, been too long in conventional machining, you know, but, <laughs> but, 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 but it doesn't seem for, 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 for high production, it doesn't seem like it's going to replace it. And then the question is, what everybody talks about is, well, instead of making a lot of parts in China, you know, making a, a million parts in China and shipping them all over the world, we'll have a, additive machines everywhere in the world, and we'll make one, one at a time when we need them. <laughs> You know, and, and, and that makes sense if, if again, if you can get the accuracy and the surface finish and the complexity that you need, you know, so, so I, I, I mean, I, every, a lot of people have written articles saying that reshoring will be enabled by additive manufacturing, and I've appealed to five or 10, at least five additive manufacturing equipment companies and said, send me the cases of reshoring that have occurred using your equipment so I can write an article about it and, and, and declare success, you know, and I, and I never get anything, or just <laughs> tiny little things here and there. Like, so, so I'll, I'll once again appeal, if anybody has cases of, of uh, reshoring happening, enabled by uh, additive, by 3D printing, let me know, I'll, I'll make you famous for having done it. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll aid you in that and try and get some uh... <laughs> case studies. Uh, maybe we could even get someone on the show. So if anybody's listening to uh, Harry's uh, begging a moment ago, uh, <laughs> we can get you on the show and you can we can have a jolly old time talking about the, the new fad that's come and been quite successful. Harry, do you have any uh, parting words uh, uh, before we wrap up this section? Yeah, 2022 looks like it's going to be a, a, another record year. Uh, based on the first quarter, we think maybe we'll hit 400,000 this year, so up 50% up from last year. A lot of good action by the government, uh, you know, these chip foundries, et cetera. Although I did see a, a newscast a couple of days ago where the CEO of Intel came on and said, if the CHIPS Act, that's the act in Congress to, to help you know, subsidize these chip foundries. If that does not pass soon, then the $20 billion foundry that Intel is planning is at risk. So the government's got to get its act together and, and make this happen. Uh, I noticed a positively that Lego just announced a billion dollar factory with 1,760 jobs. This would be, I think, their first factory in the United States because right now they're importing from Mexico, 
uh, Europe, maybe China, what have you. So, so um, bringing toys back. I mean, if you can bring toys back, you can certainly bring forgings back. I would think. Okay. So, uh, so, so th things are looking very, very good. Yeah. Um, and we we only have one potential headwind. Starts with the letter R, and um, a potential recession, which will negatively impact everybody. Uh, but let's keep our fingers crossed that we don't see that for a couple of years. What's your thought? I, I get uh, uh, newsletters and forecasts about it three or four times a day from different economists and financial people. And most most of them believe that the that the soft landing by the Fed is almost impossible to happen, that they will overdo it. And because they have to they have to overdo it to get credibility again. Right. And that and that we will have the hard landing, we will have a recession. Uh, mo most people say it will be mild and we'll be through it fairly quickly, six months, you know, whatever, and we'll be out of it and things will be roar roaring ahead. Uh, a few of them think that because of the excess of government debt and other problems that we could be facing a, a significant, a worse than average recession. So I, I'm in the um, moderate recession uh in 2023 that's my best guess uh i i would tend to agree with you because during this period uh money is being socked away S uh, savings uh from the man on the street he's saved more money over the last two years than for years in advance so i i, I think uh, i tend to agree with you that it's going to be mild and short-lived so let's keep our fingers crossed on that Harry, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure, and I look forward to our discussions. And for you, all of you that are out there listening to us, um, Harry, this is a new, it's a new show for Harry. Harry on Mosher, uh, Mosher on manufacturing, and it's going to be a, a week, a monthly show until I can get him into a weekly show. <laughs> then the Wall Street Journal and uh, Washington Post and. Uh, the Congress, uh, the Senate, which, by the way, uh, I, I know that you did appear before the Senate talking about uh, reshoring, and we're going to have we're going to be doing that show with you uh, next month or soon, er, and uh, we'll we'll see how much the government really respects your knowledge base. Harry, thanks <laughs> a lot, and everybody, tune in to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Where's uh, uh, WIM, Women in Manufacturing? Um, we've got a couple of other new things that are coming up. Chris Keel, an economist, is doing a flagship report uh, for uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. So every week we're on, it used to be once a week, and we would say we're never doing more than once a week. There are weeks that we do five. So. And then I'm supposed to be also running a forge metal company. Harry, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you, Lou. Thank you, everybody out there. Good to see you. Bye-bye. Yep. Thank you for listening. For more information on this or our other podcasts, visit jacketmediaco.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.